I recently had the opportunity to speak with Rebecca Bullwit of Miss 604, one of Canada's pioneer bloggers. She was one of the first to start a blog in Canada and is certainly one of the most popular blogs in Canada. Rebecca shared some amazing insight with us, not only on how she got started, why she loves what she does, some of the challenges that come with it, but also tips for others who are interested in getting involved in blogging and why she believes that blogging certainly is not dead or headed that way. Have a listen. This is the first episode of Rachel Thexton Connects. I hope you enjoy it. I had a great time chatting with Rebecca and was honored that she would join me for my first episode of Rachel Thexton Connects. Hi there. Thanks for joining me for my very first episode of Rachel Thexton Connects. And I am honored to welcome pioneer blogger, Miss 604, as you know her as. I also know her as Rebecca Bullwit. Rebecca, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is great to be your, your first guest here on the podcast. It's exciting. I was thrilled when you agreed to join. So thank you. You had your first website in 1997. Mm-hmm. You started Miss 604 in 2004. This was way before people were thinking about blogging and Twitter and social media. What drew you to blogging so quickly and early? And kind of what was your goal in starting the blog? Yeah, so I think it stems back to that first website in 1997 and then even further back to high school. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'd gotten into um, actually yearbook editing um, in high school where it was like laying out uh, text and photos onto, you know, using a little Mac computer we had at school, using that to lay out and put together stories and put together, um, you know, what was happening around the school. And then I think that's something like looking back now, I realized, yes, that was the foundation for what I do for, for the rest of my life. Um, right. But when, as the technology changed, so, uh, you know, I was interested in computers, then I was interested in, okay, let's see how I can build my own website. So I did that and built a website. And then just following that, I, I always, I just ended up tinkering with, you know, websites, coding, learning HTML and how to do a website. And then I got into, you know, before Spotify and uh, music sharing services, there was MP3s online. And even before the days of Napster and LimeWire, folks remember those? (laughs) Yeah, I could share MP3s online. So I got into audio online too. Eventually, this led to me getting a career with a dot com, which was doing streaming audio at the time in Vancouver. Okay, so my my tinkering from the yearbook led to tinkering with learning to do web stuff, which led to this career, which led to just kind of keeping my finger on the pulse of what was happening in the online realm and where it was going and how publishing and broadcasting was going. And so, of course, in 2004, when blogging became a more started to become a more popular, more accessible medium. I was using the blogger platform, which is now run by Google. It just became so much easier to publish words and photos and get it out there on the internet. So that's kind of the the deep history of how I get into publishing online. So it sounds kind of like you have a passion for storytelling and kind of showcasing that using visuals and words and, you know, various methods. And now, of course, technology. Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, I use two different sides of my brain or, you know, two different parts of my of my skills almost every day. So the creative, you know, writing, publishing side, but then also, you know, for my quote unquote day job with my agency, I build websites and I still do the coding and the PHP and, and that kind of thing. So I like to use those two parts and kind of blogging kind of melds those together for me too. Very cool. Now, as the years passed, were you surprised 
as to how popular the blog became. I mean, I looked at your bio and I mean, I scrolled down and I scrolled down and I scrolled further down and the awards continued and continued and continued. And so was that a surprise to you? Just how, how much people really embraced the platform and just loved what you were, the content you were providing? Surprising at first. Well, you're like, I'm going to write this thing online and publish it online and I hope people see it. And then when people do see it, you're like, oh my gosh, people are looking at this. <laughs> I can't really yes. self-conscious, like, oh no, there's going to be thousands of people who see this, but also I want thousands of people to see this. It's kind of an inner struggle for me, but um, with being surprised, I don't know. I just, it's been a lot of work and I, I think it's less surprising as it's rewarding because the work pays off. Yes. And no yeah. one sees all the work that goes on behind the scenes, of course. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of got my, I like to say kind of got the big break was during the Vancouver 2010 Olympics, because that's when kind of the world's eyes were on Vancouver. And I wrote 120 blog posts in the two weeks of the Olympics. And I was just oh covering goodness. events and I had accreditation to the media center so I was doing press conferences events but then also showcasing all the cool fun things that folks could do around town to visiting the different country pavilions and things like that and so that really kind of positioned me and put me on the map in terms of okay this is an online outlet in Vancouver that folks are using as a resource and referencing and I just continued that momentum. Amazing so one thing that I've noticed is different now there are lots and lots of blogs now in BC and beyond across the country and the world but I've noticed that in all of your years of having this 604, you've stayed very authentic to kind of how you started. And by that, I mean, you know, you have advertising, but it's minimal, it's suitable. The platform is still mostly focused on content versus, you know, sponsored and advertising and a part of it, but certainly not a large part of it. And that authenticity to content versus focusing on monetizing the blog, which you easily could have done given the popularity of it. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, I'm sure there's been some temptations there where, wow, we've got some popularity. Look at these awards and the number of followers, the number of readers. Um, how do you stay authentic to your content versus focusing on the income that you could be, you know, pulling in from the platform? Mm -hmm. Well, I do pull, I'd say 60, 70% of my income from the blog. And then, okay. and then the, the other 40, the other Okay, let's say it's half and half. <laughs> and then the other half from um, my website development company. But um, yeah, I know there's a lot more monetization I could be doing. You know, there's, you know, blogs around here who've uh, been sold for millions of dollars and things like that. So I know that's kind of what you're referring to. But um, mm -hmm. for me, it's always been my passion for it. How do I keep my passion for it? How am I still publishing for me and things I'm interested in and the greater community that I want to serve? And I found out right away, you know, topics that don't work for me, topics that are controversial or that get me comments I, I don't want and don't invite. So I, I usually avoid like real estate, politics, you know, things like that, just from yes. my own kind of mental health even. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that as well. But also, I also found out early on that since there are so many blogs, and I think at one point there was 200 food bloggers in Vancouver, like during the peak of food blogging before, you know, TikTok and Instagram uh, took over that kind of space. How do I stand out? And I stand out by being me, by being Rebecca, who went to this event, even though there's 50 other people at this event. It's me, my voice, my photos. And, mm -hmm. and that's how I stand out. So I think at the core of it, it's staying true to me and who I am and my I guess I want to say agenda, although there's not really agenda <laughs> and my, my agenda and what I want to put out into the world versus purely what I'm being paid to put out into the world. Yeah. Of course no. I do do sponsorships and promotions and yeah, I make sure they're the right fit, but that hasn't really been the main driver 
for me. Yeah. And that's clear when reading the blogs, it's suitable uh, partners. And I think, I think you make a really good point is that I, I, I do believe that people start to kind of, you know, lose um, potential trust and interest in a blog when it's focused too much on the financial side of things. And so um, that, that may be a big part as to why you've remained so incredibly popular within um, the blogging sphere. So how have you managed to keep things engaging and authentic when PR folks, such as myself, and hopefully I'm not, you know, grouped into this group, but I'm sure you hear from PR people all the time with various ideas of partnerships and concepts. Again, do you have, go back to that ethical code that you kind of have in your mind, or do you have a ethical code that you have written out where you really kind of say, does this match my values? Um, do you hear from a lot of PR folks with ideas and having to turn them away? Yeah, I think, and I'll be quite honest, like the number one reason why I'll probably write a pitch or write based on a pitch is the person who's sending it to me. So okay. it depends who it is. I've been doing this for so long. So if it's someone I've known for 15 plus years, like yourself and like um, some other professionals in town, chances are what you send me, what they send me, I'm probably going to write about it because we've built that trust, we've built that relationship, and I know you're going to send me good stuff. <laughs> I think it's focusing on the amount. I mean, I, I know that media, for example, receives mm -hmm. such a large number of emails from PR people, and I'm sure you do as well. So, you know, looking through those, how do you sift through those? And you've kind of answered that through the relationship piece. Is there anything else that kind of really helps you to kind of sift through those emails of recommendations from PR professionals? Yep, actually. So, uh, well, I want to say over the last few years, but I think it's always kind of been a mandate of mine is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So if there's, mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a cool art show or a festival or an event or something like that, even if it's not from a PR person, if someone in the community who has absolutely zero budget, but they've got this cool event coming up and they haven't sent it to anyone else, no one else might know about it aside from, you know, their little Facebook group or, or you know, something like that. I want to help. I want to promote. I want to get that out there. But also um, just helping to use my platform um, something that the community can use as well. They know yes. they can email me and I'll publish their event. You know, uh, my event listings, those are always free. If you have an yes. event, I will put on my event calendar for free. It'll go in the events newsletter, weekend events newsletter for free as well. And I just like people to know that because again, that builds a trust between me and the community. So not just between me and PR professionals, but me and the yes. community. That's key. Mm -hmm. But with, um, yeah, with PR. So if, you know, if it's a theater event, usually folks have an idea of what I will cover when they pitch me. If something's not a fit, I will just reply and say it's not a fit. So mm -hmm. yeah, and I do get a large volumes, like one of the biggest, most popular things I write about is events every mm -hmm. month, every week, every day. <laughs> so I get about three to 400 emails. And uh, yeah, like I said, most likely all of those three to 400 event listings will go on my free event list. And wow. then I'll pick, I'll pick out a few of those that will be an individual post. Um, and kind of go from there. Yeah. So a lot of work goes into this. I mean, people see the blog and that, you know, they see the pages, they see the content, they enjoy it. They maybe even visit the site every day, but I, I think very few people probably know the amount of time, the number of hours that you're spending um, curating and creating and presenting the content. I have a lot of folders in my Gmail. So I have, yeah. I have one sorted by month. So an event goes into like a month bucket. And then from there, I have another folder called uh, right later. So something that I've identified that, okay, this is an event that will go on the list, but I kind of also want to make it a main post on its own. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of sorting, a lot of work of, uh, you know, sometimes I do just take a press release and write, you know, 
touch it up just a tiny little bit and format it for my site and I'll put that on my site. Um, sometimes I'll follow up and I'll want to interview. I'll do something a bit more in depth, but that's just the diversity of content that's on my site. So, you know, something that's just photos, something that's just history, mm-hmm. something that's just an event listing or uh, a more in-depth researched interview piece. So I need to have kind of those different levels of engagement and those levels of of work, something that could take me 15 minutes and something that could take me four hours. Because if I did the four hour things all the time, I would really burn out. Yes. (laughs) And I just want to, I want to get content out there, but I do want to carefully make sure that it is good content and that serves the community. Yeah. And people are noticing. Yeah. What would you say is your, has been to date your biggest challenge in running the blog? I know that's a hard question because there could be yeah. kind of back-end challenges, relationship challenge, ethical challenges. What would you say is the biggest one? Yeah, well, a few weeks ago I had technical challenges, so that's always the big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's the technical challenges of running a site that is 19 years old now. Um, but aside from that, challenges are, so to be honest, I'm actually a very shy, introverted person. <laughs> so right. when I do, you know, I pub- I've published 11,000 some blog posts, you know, I've got, you know, thousands of followers on social networks. So when I'm putting things out there, it's very curated. I still have that idea of back in, you know, 2004 or 1997, even of, oh, I have this cool thing I want to share. And then, oh my gosh, people are actually looking at it. (laughs) I still have that. So biggest challenge for me is just managing all of this with um, balancing it as a career, Mm -hmm. but also a passion and not letting one knock out the other. Yes. Um, and then also the just the mental health and and I do feel anxiety of being someone who doesn't like taking up too much space in a room, but I'm very loud online. Like I'll meet people in person. They'll be like, I expected you to be a lot more like <laughs> gregarious yes. and, and loud yes. and out there. And meanwhile, I'm at like a, a PR event and I'm the one like eating a canopy in the corner alone because I'm so shy. That's so, me. Uh, That's me. Yeah. I think we're, we stand together on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think just balancing that too. So I guess the two sides of the personality I need to have um, being is, is a challenge, uh, you know, the technical, the work and the passion. So there's little challenges all along the way. Um, okay. And then also just even the, the stress of how do I take a vacation? <laughs> yes. How do I actually disconnect, take a vacation and recharge while there's kind of like this little machine I need to keep feeding? So yes. I think the balance of it all has been the biggest challenge. Okay. And I know you spoke it to some joys. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like one of your biggest joys is the fact that you've been able to resonate so authentically with the community. But what would you say? Is your, am I correct? Is there another joy that you want to emphasize about um, running and being the, you know, the Miss 604? My biggest joy has been, so this started back in 2006, 2007. When I realized that things I publish online can have real world positive outcomes. So doing online fundraising campaigns. Mm-hmm. So my biggest joy has been using my platform to raise awareness for local nonprofits, for their campaigns to fundraise um, and to work with some amazing partners in that respect. So I, I sponsor in kind about 25 to 30 different um, nonprofit campaigns and events each year. Okay. And it's just wow. been able to see, so like if I do um, the Canuck Place 50-50, I've partnered with them last year. And if I've, you know, I'm their official social media sponsor, I see they have a goal to raise 300000 And by the end of the campaign, I can see they've hit, you know, 300000 350. I'm like, that's a big win, a big green check mark. And I'm just so happy to see that and see those I've partnered with succeed. Awesome. Yeah, I know that that's a really, really good feeling to make, to make that kind of a difference. 
That's definitely a joy. I'd put that yes. as a capital J-O-Y for sure. Yes. <laughs> definitely. Um, you've talked about what surprises people about you and that's your, your personality and, um, and kind of having that introverted person personality versus, you know, what people may think of a blogger. Um, people enjoy the blog. What do you think is or are uh, the most popular parts of the blog based on your analytics, based on feedback from your readers? What do you think people enjoy the most about it when it comes to your content? Yep, well, it's definitely the contests because those are fun, free things for folks. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I love doing contests, um, work with partners, partners to give away something. Everything from, you know, I used to do sometimes like a $2,000 Whistler getaway that will get just as much engagement as like a $10 Tim Hortons gift card. Wow. <laughs> so, so folks, folks just really like the joy of a giveaway on a site. Yes. But, uh, like, I mean, as in they're both wildly popular for those two things. Um, top content, definitely the weekend event list, the monthly event lists. And then aside from that, um, maybe a little one-offs. Um, those definitely get the most uh, views and reactions. And I just think just because I've I'm just known for being a resource. I also have a uh, newsletter that goes out Thursday nights, which also pushes the event calendar and the event list. And I think that is the most successful part because it's what folks are checking, but it's also powered by the readers. Like I said, you know, getting those hundreds of emails every month and then putting those on and that folks looking for, hey, they, uh, you know, she, I said they, it's just me. <laughs> she included, she included my event. So just seeing that kind of cycle there, but yeah, uh, yeah definitely events. And then a few one-off things, something will get, um, a lot of uh, pick up a lot of interest, especially around, um, you know, spring break or family day, which is coming up. That'll probably be a popular post. And then, um, yeah, peak times throughout the year. So, you know, free things to do for, for Christmas. So, yes, it all circles back to events, <laughs> events and things to do in Vancouver. Yes, which I think in Vancouver, where we're, we're often kind of described as a no fun city, you're kind of debunking that by showcasing all of the great things that are happening. Yeah, that's, and I mean, people have just been so creative over the last few years, especially with, and I'm going to use the word, with pivoting <laughs> during mm -hmm. the pandemic and um, and arts funding in this town. You know, uh, we've just seen that the Vancouver Folk Music Festival is not coming back for 2023. But I think that's awful and horrible. But a plus side that I have seen is that um, during the pandemic and coming out of it, a lot of community organizations or new organizations are coming up with creative ways to have events and, and um, in, engage uh the folks around them and invite them in through virtual events or in person. And we do have a lot of attractions in this town too. And those are always open and those, all, they always have neat events going on too. So okay. it's, it's there, there's things happening. Yes. And often people are right here and don't know about them. I think that's, that's often the case. I hear about things and I've been, you know, hearing about how wonderful they are and I've never been. And I think, oh my goodness, I've never been to the wonderful garden in Chinatown. And I can't believe that. So I'm taking my children um, in the near future and things like that. So it's, you're right. There are so many great attractions that I think even locals haven't really kind of, you know, really experienced to their fullest. Um, so any, where do you think the blog space is heading and any tips for those who want to start a blog? Yep. So about every five years or so for the last 19 years, <laughs> someone has said blogging is dead. Yes. <laughs> and then every five years, it's like, hey, I've started a blog. <laughs> the trend is always blogging's going to die, blogging's going to die. And then, you know, social media will come up. So now it then it was all like, you know, TikTok and Instagram, and that's the rise of the influencer space. But then now with social media being such a tumultuous space, especially mm -hmm. you know, with Twitter and what's going on there, 
folks are going back to the blog or, you know, having their own website or their own outlet. And so all along my kind of, uh, mantra has been, yes, I like using, you know, social media and social networks to promote my work and myself, but always I'm going to point those networks back to my site because I own it. (laughs) I run Mm -hmm. it. No one else tells me what I can and can't publish on it. Um, There's no threat of, uh, you know, someone pulling it down or, you know, a a new billionaire owner taking over. Although, you know, if a billionaire wants to buy my site, I don't know. (laughs) You might consider (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely a trend going back to blogging. People are doing, um, Substack sites or medium sites or yeah going back to that long form writing publishing with your name on it something that you kind of own own and operate I think that's uh, starting at the end of last year and now heading into this year folks who still want to have something to say but they're not sure if their social network will be the right medium for them to say that or if it's still going to be around they're starting to have to look for their their own solutions but i'm okay. also on mastodon so mastodon <laughs> mastodon's a big one a big alternative to twitter right now okay. but um yeah i think blogging every now and then folks say it's gonna die and then it just keeps coming back up as um yeah something that's so useful for businesses too so mm-hmm. the other side of my business is also strategy and consulting for blogging for businesses and websites so uh having that uh like a blog on your website to power your business and your seo that's so valuable too so i'm always going to be pro blog and i think that's the future <laughs> going to yes. still be the future in five years i'm not going to be saying blogging is dead <laughs> i agree and that leads to my my next of final two questions for you and that is that some people may not be aware that you and your husband run a web services company called 64 media um you've trained me and my team you've done work on redesigning and simplifying my business website as well as a variety of other things for my business um can you tell us some basic information about what 64 media is and what you do yeah definitely so we've been around since 2008 um that was the year that i also converted miss 604 to a wordpress website so we use wordpress exclusively we do everything from just you know building a website for a client to um giving them tutorials and handing them over the keys when it's done so website maintenance tutorials creation development and then also consulting so i've done a lot with um, seo consulting and strategy blog consulting and strategy social media for nonprofits, so a wide variety of just using um, my 25 years of digital publishing experience to help businesses empower their own strategies. Focusing a lot on nonprofits, which is something I did uh, during the pandemic, especially just lots of folks converting to online and how to do more online and fundraise online. So I did a lot of more nonprofit work, but yeah, uh, that's that's what we do. And we've been around a really long time. So we really know WordPress. <laughs> so Amazing. Any WordPress questions, let us know. <laughs> well, I can tell you, I, I highly recommend 64 Media. They do amazing work, professional, uh, reasonable rates, uh, obviously extensive experience. So if you need any web work done, I highly recommend uh, contacting Rebecca and her team, uh, her husband, John. They're both wonderful. Um, I want to end every conversation by asking guests about their favorite local nonprofit organization, and there could be more than one. What's close to your heart? Where can people donate if they want to provide you with appreciation for the great work you do for our city? What are your nonprofit passions here in Vancouver? Mm -hmm. So actually for the last almost two years now, I've been a contributor contributor to a Megaphone magazine, um, which is based in the downtown east side, and they provide um, income opportunities for those who are underemployed, um, experiencing homelessness, 
and they sell the magazine on the street. Um, so it provides that in income opportunity. And I've contributed to them. So with my monthly column, it features local nonprofits specifically in that community. So <laughs> I featured... Um, you know, some of my favorite nonprofits in there, but I think Megaphone itself and Hope and Shadow Society itself is an amazing nonprofit. So I'd love to you to check out Megaphone Magazine and okay. the work that they do. They're part of the International Network of Street Papers. So there's over a hundred of them of street, oh, papers, wow. street papers like this around the world. So sometimes okay. the stories get picked up in other publications. So I wrote about uh, Nation Skate Youth for Megaphone once. That's a nonprofit here that goes into uh, Indigenous communities and does skateboarding workshops with the youth. And it's just a super engaging, really cool initiative. So I've read about them for Megaphone and that got picked up in the Portland street paper. And that was the cover story over there. So wonderful. Megaphone magazine, but um, very, very, very near and dear to my heart is Covenant House Vancouver as well. Yes. Um, they work with youth experiencing homelessness at, at risk youth and they provide um, a loving, caring nurturing environment, whether for, it's for crisis programs or just a drop-in center, and it's all-encompassing. And I've, I've worked with them for in various different capacities for 15 years, almost, I guess, almost 19 years now since the blog has started. So wow. um, another one near and dear to my heart. Perfect. Yes, I am a big supporter of Covenant House, too. They do great work. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. Well, Rebecca, I am again, so appreciative for you. We could go on and on. I have a million questions. I hope to have you on again in the near future. And thank you again for joining me for my first episode of Rachel Thexton Connects. I hope that we chat again very, very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You are listening to Rachel Thexton Connects. <laughs> <laughs>